Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Now, we'll be there in just a few moments, but I want you to go ahead and get there. Numbers, chapter 11. We've been talking about prayer, and actually we just kind of started that last week. And today we're going to do what I consider to be kind of an umbrella prayer, and that is we're going to establish a point of reference. And as we move forward in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and what we call the model prayer, uh, we're going to be very specific about what Jesus teaches us there. But as we come to this service, what I want to do is kind of do something very different. Uh, But I hope that it will communicate well some of the overall approach that we take to prayer. Now, last week, what I tried to emphasize for us is the need for intimacy in our prayer. Richard Foster tells a story that kind of captures this for us, I think. He tells a story of a friend of his who, for some reason, found himself as the father at the mall with his young child, very young child, probably a year and a half, two years old, something like that. And um, the mom was off shopping, doing her thing. The father was charged with babysitting this young boy. And uh, the young boy was not all too thrilled about being at the mall, which worked well because neither was the father. And uh, he was just into everything. You know, he was just kind of whining and crying and that kind of stuff. And, you know, for a while the father was trying to be nice about it. And then he got tired enough that he didn't want to be nice about it anymore. And he found himself getting kind of sharp with the kid and kind of, you know, just... He knew that this was escalating to the point that it was not going to be a healthy thing for the young boy or for him in a public setting. And so he finally, out of desperation, he swooped that little kid up in his arms and he held him close. And as he walked through the mall, he just started singing to him. And he was singing just really not a song at all as much as it was. He was making up words as he went and he was using the little boy's name. And as he would sing to him, he would say, and you're settling down now and, and you're peaceful now. And, you know, and he was, you know, some whatever you want to call that psychobabble or whatever. But it was kind of a last resort for him. And he noticed that as he did that, he was carrying that little boy around. And as he was carrying him and singing to him, the little boy started to just kind of relax and kind of calm down. And all of a sudden he realized it's peaceful here. And so he stopped singing. And instead of just freaking out, the little boy popped back and looked at his daddy right in the face and he said, sing it again, daddy. Sing it to me again. I think that's a great picture of what prayer ought to be for us. So often, as we said last week, we turn the tables on God. And it becomes a thing where we go to God and it's all about us talking to Him rather than that sweet communion that comes as we listen as He sings over us. I don't know how your prayer life is. But what I would love to do is to influence you towards a prayer life that is deeply in touch with the heart of God. I think that's God's design for us. I don't think it's the exception to the rule. I think in our society, in our Christian society, we've made that the exception. But I think when you get right down to it, prayer is about a communion with the heart of God, step by step walking with Him as He pulls us to Himself. I don't know how your prayer life is, but that's what I would like for us to share together as a people. 
So what I want us to do as we come to this particular passage of Scripture, or these passages, this is more of a topical sermon. I throw one of these in every once in a while just so you know I know how to do them, even though I don't typically like to do them. We're going to be in several different passages of Scripture, and what I want us to do is to pick up on the idea that I finished with last week. And that is that typically we look at prayer as this one-shot thing. We go through our cafeteria approach and we look at what the offerings are and then we say, okay, God, this is what I'm going to focus on today in my prayer life. Better said, prayer is more about a combination of things. So I want us to kind of lay out several different types of prayer today. I've been amazed this week and very pleased this week as well into the week as I talk to people who are here, they're still talking about last week and and trying to get and wrestle with this idea of prayer and what it can be for us. And so let me give you a few other things. In those discussions, I've heard us refer back to that old tried and true Baptist ACTS approach to praying, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Well, let me give you a few others to throw into the mix, and actually I'll pull in on some of that. But as we do this today, what I want to emphasize is it's better that we don't have just one steady diet of one type of prayer. There's a myriad of things that come into a prayer life. I love spaghetti, and Butch put together a killer plate of spaghetti last night, right? But as much as I like that, I don't want spaghetti all the time, right? Now, I know Marshall does. Marshall likes that spaghetti stuff, right? There you go, buddy. That's right. But even Marshall sooner or later is going to want something other than spaghetti. So let's look at some variety in prayer today. Now, this is going to be pretty unorthodox. I've asked our musicians for a little bit of help because I think they can help nail down what I'm talking about today, all right? And so first up, we're going to have several solo acts this morning, all right? And so I'm going to let them play a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about prayer. And so first, I think, is Don on the drums, all right? So give it up for Don on the drums. good. Thank you. I know some of you were waiting for Wipeout. I know you were. How many of you recognize the song that he just played? Imagine that. You know, it's one of, the, one of those things about music is we recognize the melody line and we go to the melody line and we can identify not just what the song is often, but who sang it or played it in the first place. But without the drums driving and giving us the consistent, steady beat of what's going on, the, whatever else happens there is difficult for us to follow. Now, one of the things, I, one of the people that I missed just a moment ago uh, was Macon um, Hatton. Is he here or did he have to go back to... There he is, right here in the middle, okay? Stand up. Now... Macon came down 
and he did music for us. All right, now he plays guitar and he sings, but he also had a percussion device. I don't know what it's a box. Okay, it looks to me like a box, but. Even with just himself playing the guitar, he had the ability to put some drum to it because it helps to drive and to keep the whole song on pace. All right? So I want us to take that perspective and I want to pull into an arena of prayer that I call the inward movement of prayer. Now, there's several different ways we can pray as it relates to this, but here's the basic idea. There, there needs to be that part of our prayer life that moves us to focus inward, all right? Now, actually, I believe that probably for me, most of the time, this is the place I start in prayer because this is the place where you just get gut-level honest with God. Now, I've talked with people through the years. It's an amazing thing how many people really struggle with being honest with God. Now, we don't struggle too much with being honest with God when things are great. Hey, God, good job. We like what you did there. Although some people think that's a little sacrilegious for me to be so casual with God like that. But when things are not going well, the typical Christian prayer that I hear through the years is, Now God, I know that I'm supposed to say this. As opposed to the prayer that Habakkuk prayed and Jeremiah prayed and Moses prayed. That's the prayer that says, Come on God, what's going on here? You ever wanted to pray that? You ever thought that in your head and thought, well, I can't really pray that. So we start off, God, I love you so much and I thank you for what you're doing. Our pre-programmed prayer lives. The inward move starts off with simple prayer that takes you inside to honesty with God. Now, ultimately, it moves us to transformation with God, but it's a good place to start just to be honest with God. Let me give you a good biblical point of reference for this. Numbers chapter 11. And in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 10, what we find, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11 in just a moment, okay? And we'll have it on the screen for you. But in verses 4 through 10, here's the scenario. The people have been eating manna. Now, what is manna? And the answer is, we don't really know. Okay? As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for manna, I'm told, means, what is it? (laughs) Mana. Now, if they didn't know exactly what to call it, then it's okay for us to say it was manna. All right? And they've been eating. Now, you remember how that happens. The dew falls, and when the dew dries, there's this bread-like stuff honey-like, bread-like, what is it, that's left over. And they go out and they gather it and they eat it. And they do that because God's providing for them as they go through the wilderness where there's nothing to eat. And just like God's people are known to do, they get enough of that and they say, man, sure would be nice if we had some steak to go with this bread. But they know steak. And so what do they do? They complain, and they gripe, and it's a bad deal. So look in verse 11, excuse me, verse four, excuse, yeah, verse 11 of chapter 11 of Numbers, and it says this, Numbers 11, 11. And Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Now stop for a second. What's his prayer so far? 
Come on, God, what are you doing to me? You ever prayed that prayer? It's okay to pray that prayer. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Do you hear the angst in his voice? Moses is saying, of all the people in the world, you stick me with this bunch of sorry lot of people. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and they say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Let me tell you something. That's the most intelligent prayer any of us can ever pray. This is beyond me. Verse 15, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Sound honest to you? Does that sound like Moses is just turning the focus in on himself and saying, okay, God, this is where I really am today. Now, I know that there's that part of us that hears that. We get a little bit kind of off on that because we know that there's that part of us that it sounds like we're not trusting God or it sounds like our faith is weak if we've bought into some of the stuff that you'll hear on TV that's kind of garbage, uh, that we feel like it's up to us to believe the right stuff hard enough to make it happen. That's humanism, by the way. Moses gives us a great lesson here where he just turns the focus inward and he says... This is where I'm at. One of the best ways to pray on that inward movement of prayer is the simple prayer that just gets honest with God. Now, with that in mind, there's another approach to this kind of prayer that I want you to see. This is that part of prayer. By the way, that's just one, okay? So you might say that's the drumbeat. It's what drives us. It's the one that we know from Matthew 6, 6 that points us to the heart of God. He sees us in secret and he deals with us accordingly. Another element of this is what we might call a prayer of assessment. And this is not so much where we're assessing ourselves as much as we're assessing the hand of God. Where is God in this? That's a simple prayer. That's one that I pray regularly. That's one that I refer to people to on a regular basis in counseling. This situation that you're going through that is stretching you beyond yourself, if God really is God and he really is in charge, then somewhere in all of this, he's got to be. So where is God in all of this stuff? Look with me to Psalm 139. We've got it here on the screen if you don't have it, but uh, Psalm 139. Now, we're going to be in the Psalms several times now in a row as we work through the rest of this message. Because in the Psalms, we have record of prayer. Now, usually they probably were set to music. That's what Psalms was. It was the hymn book of Israel. But uh, in this case, we have a prayer. And here's what he says, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, what is he saying with that? We started off with, God, this is where I am. And now he turns it and he says, God, you know where I am. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. What the psalmist is doing for us in his own prayer before God, is he's reminding us that even though we have the freedom to go to God and say, God, this is just where I am today, we have to also remember in this inward movement of prayer that we can find the hand of God somewhere in there because we know the heart of God. It is a great piece of information that you can lock on to. That piece of information is the one that says, nothing happens to you but that God is intimately aware and concerned. So put this with what Moses prayed. Moses says, God, let me just put it in road tramalese for you. Moses says, God, I cannot believe you did this to me. And I would rather you kill me than make me keep it up. But the psalmist informs Moses by saying, but then again, God, you already knew that about me, didn't you? You already knew that this was beyond me. You see, this is why I said last week, I think it was, maybe not last week, but recently, that all real prayer begins with God. I'm going to flesh that out more as we go. But in the heart of God, things happen. And as God moves us forward... He allows us, and sometimes he engineers circumstances to get us in a place that we come to the end of ourselves. That's the best prayer you can pray. Pray, God, I'm beyond myself here. Because that's where you find that he is never beyond himself or you. Simple prayer that moves us inward. We looked at inward transformational kind of prayer that says, okay, God, I don't like where I am. I don't know where this is. Or maybe it's the day that you say, this is an incredible day. And then the prayer of assessment says, but it's only that because you're with me and you know me and you know what I need. This is the prayer that sees things not as you see them, but as God sees them. By the way, this is a good end-of-the-day kind of prayer. Macon taught us a great chorus, song, whatever the right musical term is, uh, that talks about in the earliest part of the day and in the latest part of the night, praising God. How do you pray at the end of the day? One of the best things you can do is come to the end of the day and in prayer, just trace God's hand in it. The inward move. As we do that, what we begin to see is that there becomes an awareness of God who's with us through the day. If you train yourself at the end of the day to look backwards and say, you know what started off as a really bad day or a really good day, uh, I can see that God systematically moved us this way. Or maybe it's a bad day and you get to the end and you go, man, this is horrible kind of circumstances. Where were you today, God? And it just becomes a way of, of kind of tying up the day real well. But as you do that, it begins to enhance your ability to see God through the day. Real prayer. You know, Paul says, pray without ceasing. We'll get to that eventually probably in this series, but 
is, does that mean that we're to walk around going, you know, with our eyes shut and driving by Braille? You know, when you hit something, you go the other direction. And, you know, because you're always mouthing this word of prayer to God. I think Paul understood something of what we're talking about here. It's, it's that constant awareness of the presence of God with you. In constant communication with him. The inward move. There's a second movement of prayer. Let's go from the drums to the bass. This is Gene Pickering. Plays the bass guitar. I feel like one of those talk show hosts. Give it up for Gene, okay? All right, how many of you recognize, yeah, very good. How many of you recognize that song? No, it wasn't in Agata De Vida. Some of you, I know. Some of you don't even know what that song is. All right, that's okay. That's fine. I asked a guy one time, a friend of mine who was a leader of a band, and I said, okay, so what, do you, what would you say is the role of the drums? And he said, it's the heartbeat of everything. It just, boom, it just keeps it there. I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then what's the role of the bass? And he said, it's to lock the groove in. And I like the way that sounds, all right? So what is the groove of your life? What is it that gives you that consistency in your life? I just got through talking about two elements of prayer, that inward transformational kind of focus in prayer. And and those two parts of it are the ones that take us to the extremes sometimes. It's just being honest with God. But what is it that locks the groove in? How do you get consistency in your Christian life? Well, the answer to that is found, I think, in this second movement of God. If the first one is inward, the second one, what do you think it is? Yeah, see, I, the word association, inward must be outward. No, it's upward now. Which sounds a little strange when we're talking about prayer because really all of it is kind of upward unless you understand what I just got through saying, which a lot of it is inward. It's saying, okay, what's going on? But the upward part of prayer now is that part that focuses solely on God. You want to lock the groove on your life, keep your eyes firmly planted on who God is and what he's doing. Colossians talks about that. Set your mind on things above. And then he says, set your heart on things above. The lock the groove of your life for consistency, regardless of the circumstances, get that upward look Right. Now I go back to that Baptist uh, thing that we use, the ACTS part of it. Because adoration is a huge part of this. How do you view God? Actually, this part of prayer ought to flow naturally from the one I just talked about. Because as you begin to assess where God's hand is in this, you begin to see that God's hand is always in this in your life. And that moves us to honor him. Look at Psalm 35. And actually, this kind of prayer is both thanksgiving and praise put together. And this verse captures both. The psalmist says, I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. What is it in your life 
that triggers adoration. Let me just take the last couple of days. I jokingly said to some of the parents after they dropped you all off on Friday afternoon that uh, we really hoped that they would get back to pick you up today because we were afraid that maybe with two days away from you they would go, you know what, this is pretty nice. We'll just let them keep them for a while. So everybody's parents showed up. You got all your stuff picked up. Hello. Y'all, okay, I know you're tired. It's been a long deal. What is it that triggers God for you? And what I mean by that is an awareness that takes you beyond the circumstances to praise. While we were out, Camp Waluda, if you haven't been out there, I got to tell you, it's worth a drive. Now, not the way we went, okay, because the way, the way we went is we left here and went up to 327 and into downtown Seals. We went up and we got there just in time to catch the train that was slowing down, that stopped, that backed up and stopped. And so then we decided we know a shortcut. Now, I didn't decide that, but we decided we knew a shortcut. So we went on a shortcut, and half of us went one way, and half of us went the other. Still caught the train on the other end of the shortcut, and it was about a three-hour drive for us to get to Camp Waluda. Oh, an hour and a half, yeah. It's a 20-minute drive, but it still took us forever to get there. Now, all of that, once we got out there, and we drove, and we drove, I mean, way deep out into the woods, and I was thinking to myself, this is where they filmed some of those movies with guys with knives. And sure enough, we saw a movie with a lady with a knife right after we got there. But we started walking around. Teresa and I just kind of started walking around out there a little bit, and walked down to the creek. You know, as I was walking through there, I just had to stop every once in a while and look around and go, man, you know God is incredible in his creation walk up to the creek and see that going by and you know that all underneath the surface of the water there's an entire another kind of ecosystem going on under there and on the banks of the creek or one thing you get down into the woods and you see trees that have fallen and are rotting and the floor of all of that stuff covered with leaves and you know there's an ecosystem going on under there and you look up into the tops of the trees and you see birds flying around and you know that God spoke it all into order What is it about your life that triggers praise for your Heavenly Father? I'm I'm afraid that this is one of those areas of our Christian lives that we kind of give lip service to because we know we're supposed to so that we can get on with the business of asking God for stuff. I think what we find here is really... It needs to be the opposite. It needs to be that part of our lives that so is in tune with the fact that God is God. And he's incredible in every aspect of who he is and what he does. That it forces us on our face before him to honor him as God. When we get that part in place, it locks the groove. Like that bass guitar, boy, it just keeps us pushing. And the world can fall apart under your feet 
And you can look around and say, that tree that's been here for 90 years or 100 years, seen hurricanes, seen droughts, seen rainstorms, seen windstorms, and God says, that's my tree. And it's in place. And then we find those passages of Scripture where it says that we are much more precious to him than some of that other stuff. Locks the groove. When you can go to God in prayer on a consistent basis, be amazed at who he is. Well, that puts a lot of that other garbage in perspective. Do you think Moses, for a second, considered those griping people when he was face-to-face with God on Mount Sinai and God was showing him himself? Actually, it says that he hit him in the cleft of the rock and his glory passed by and Moses got to see some of that. Do you think that he even considered those sorry dog people down below? No, you know, as a matter of fact, God had to say to him, hey man, it's time for you to go down now because those sorry dog people are doing it again. Lock the groove. Who is God to you? One more. Let's look. Well, I guess you got to have a guitar in this band, don't you? All right? So this is Melissa. So let's hear it for the guitar. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Now can I go? All right. Thank you very much. All right. Now, how many of you recognize the song that time? Now we're starting to see a little bit to it, right? Okay. And as good as that is, by itself, it's still a little lacking, Right? So there's another movement in prayer. Now, this is still part of that upward movement, but this is the one that we're going to spend some time on because this is, I think these are actually, it's kind of part of maybe the hardest part of prayer. Psalm 119.11. Our Awanas kids can probably quote this one. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The other King James Version says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, here's my question to you. How do you get God's word in your heart? The easy answer is you memorize it. And that's partially correct. But I want to take you... I I did this with the Iwana kids. It's a little easier with kids than it is with adults because they like gross, okay? Uh, So I don't want to be too gross in here because we're going to go have lunch in just a little bit. Um, But I want you to envision a cow as it eats grass. Some of you are already going there with me. I can see you going, (laughs) yeah, go with the gross stuff. So the cow eats the grass and he chews it up. And what does he do? He swallows it. And then later, he says to himself, kind of hungry. 